0: From the kids go, go. to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed.
1: All right, so I guess we we are live right now. Normally we can uh, see the intro, but there's been a couple of changes today. How you doing? Welcome to the Atheist Experience. Uh, we are live. It is, what is the date today? March 6th? That sounds right. Yeah, I'm Matt Delaney, Joining me... John Iclody, hello. The the peaceful presence that uh, that reigns in the the dragon that I can be on occasion.
2: to you know, one viewer, <laughs> and I'm glad to be back because the, the last time I was supposed to be on was the day the internet went out. Yeah, and the time before that we had a we had a special guest, and I thought that. We should give the special guest a chance to be on the show, so it's good to be back. Oh, there we are.
1: Yeah, there we are. And there's more uh, special guests coming up on the show in the future. Um, as a matter of fact, today we just talked about April 10th is a lecture day for the ACA. By the way, you can find out more about the Atheist Community of Austin by going to atheist-community.org. And the show page is atheist-experience.com. Both of those websites are in the process of being completely, you know, revamped and, and updated, but you can find a calendar of events there. And we have a lecture here locally that people can attend. And I've just found out that the, the current plan on April 10th is uh, uh, to have Sarah Moorhead and Neil Carter, who are in the Texas area that weekend, come down and give a lecture and then visit on the show as well. So we're uh, we're looking forward to that. Also, if you are currently or think you're currently a member of the Atheist Community of Austin, there's a good chance that you're not. Uh as it turns out, February is the the last month of the membership year and so March begins the new membership drive. You can go to atheistdrivingcommunity.org and find out how to become a member there. If you're not in the Austin area and you were considering becoming a member in order to, you know, donate and contribute and support what we actually do, uh, you can go to atheist-community.org/donate, and there's information there. Because uh, it doesn't do us any good to have m- members in Philadelphia who aren't going to be present to vote. I don't know why. Why am I? Why do I keep picking on Philly today? Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I used them an example earlier. It's a good town. It is a good town. So uh, we are. Uh, Back live doing this. Uh, Nancy Reagan died today, uh, or last night, I guess. I don't know which one. I, and I didn't know that until somebody
2: mentioned it at the board meeting. So,
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, obviously we've got the uh, political elections going on. There are primaries going on all over the place. And yes, I'm well aware of what happened in not only Texas, but Travis County. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, Hillary won in Texas. But she didn't win in Travis County, which happens to be where I vote. Uh, but in Travis County, something else interesting happened, and that was that the uh, GOP, uh, what's, I forget the, the name uh, of the position that this individual holds, uh, and he's been all over the news nationwide uh, because he spent most of the time after being elected to be the GOP representative for Travis County uh, talking about his book and jfk conspiracies and how he thinks the bushes need to be in prison and uh... it's it's got everybody in quite an uproar we've seen the news stories about it it's it's interesting but it uh, doesn't have anything to do with what we're doing here Um, or at least not much uh... one thing that did happen is there is a uh... a woman who ran for the state board of education uh... who won her primary there'll be a runoff i think in may and the State Board of Education is is pretty significant. We've talked about it a lot. Texas is a, a state where the State Board of Education determines what books go into Texas schools. And because Texas is so big and so many people buy our books, this single adoption state, our books end up going out to other schools in other states as well. And, yes, I'm more than a little bit disturbed that there's the potential that someone who is opposed or is procreation anti-evolution who thinks that obama is nice to homosexuals because he was a gay prostitute for many years there's something about the way she thinks that i would love to think would immediately disqualify her from being in a position where she controls what other people are going to be educated on uh unfortunately not in texas well, and if you live in a you know democracy or a democratic republic, as we all do uh, here in the United States and, and in Texas, um, this is why it's important to vote. Uh, if this is the type of person that you want on the school board, um, you know you can go and vote for them. But I hope you stay home uh, so that people who I don't know have a, a greater respect for science and reason are, are helping to decide what people are going to learn. And that then, was my uh, my one little mini rant for the day. Yeah, and we,
2: you know, there's a lot of politics discussions going on on our Facebook group mm-hmm. for the show, and we have to be a little careful because the Atheist Community of Austin sponsors the show. We're a 501c3, so we can't endorse candidates. We talk about issues, so you know, we, yeah. we can't tell you who to vote for and who not to vote for. We can tell you that we prefer people who. Respect separation of church and state, and science, fact-based, reason-based education, and that sort of thing. And that's what we do.
1: And if you don't, by the way, vote. I mean, I, my my encouragement is for everybody to vote, um, irrespective of who they choose. Uh, this is like your one opportunity to to really exercise your voice when you live in a in a in a type of society where your issue your views are represented by the people you elect. Um, I've I, I actually, you know, did some battles on Facebook this week with people talking about, "Oh, there's no point in voting" or uh and I came up with some of those examples. I'll leave that there on on Facebook and we'll go ahead and get to callers. Um, but we we have heard uh all of the uh the horror stories and the great news depending on how different people look at it and uh but this show is about interacting with believers, would be they Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Scientologist if you know if you happen to be a Scientologist and you like to call in I can't recall the last time we had somebody call in on behalf of Scientology I can't remember it ever happening I'm not sure <laughs> I'm probably on some suppressive person list and uh, they're just not allowed to interact with me at all who knows um, so we'll go with uh, oop, that one appears to still be being screened and we have
3: uh, Connor from Glasgow Ah, yes, I'm on the air. Good. It's actually my third time being on the air, uh, so that's good. Um, I'm not Hamish, by the way. You know, I watched him him last week. Ah, okay. Or the the, the three weeks before. Um, But, yeah, uh, yeah, I just have a question for you, Matt. It's on the laws of logic. And uh, I was just wondering why they're absolute. They're not.
1: They're not absolute. So I had done some videos where I talked about this, um, and I don't... I don't think that there's any path to absolute certainty anywhere. And if you go back and you like watch the debate that I did with Saiten instead of claiming that identity non-contradiction and excluded middle, uh, could fairly be u- viewed as absolutely certain. I went with maximal certainty. Right. And, um,
3: like just like theologians would sometimes go with maximal omnipotence or, you know, as opposed to absolute. Um, yeah, I suppose you could say that there are, approaching or converging absolute certainty yeah well you know?
1: the the point behind Are that you, the point behind that was to say I don't see any path to absolute certainty but if there in fact was one whatever maximal certainty is it may be absolute if there's some way to demonstrate it and if there's not a way to demonstrate it then it's just as certain as we can apparently be about anything
3: right yeah well I would say that you could argue their infallibility on the grounds that if you assume they're falsehood you know you Prove that it's impossible to be in order to, in order to
1: prove them wrong, you have to first assume that they're true. Yes. Yeah, and and that's the contradiction that we get to. You also find it when you start talking about, you know, Girdle's incompleteness theorem, uh, about, you know, no system being capable of, of demonstrating its own truth. And so basically we've drilled back in this sort of uh, regressive fashion until we found what are the foundations of reason, and mm-hmm. we accept them, and I suppose we accept them tentatively as inviolable, until such time as somebody can demonstrate a way that they're, they're not true.
2: Right.
3: Well, I would, yeah, I mean, I would regard them as sort of special cases, because they have this elevated status, and that, you know, they are the necessary preconditions for propositions, like they, 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 they have to be the case in order for anything to be the case sort of thing, like, yeah, you know, they, they yeah, so I mean, how, how would you you said that, I think, in one video. I think it was with Matt Slick. This was an old one in 2009 or something. Um, that you can, without these absolutes, you can't make truth statements. Like, I'm aware of different kinds of propositions where you've got, you know, subject, predicate, and, you know, um, all that. You know, you, you make truth statements about how things are. Um, we, we, make tr- we, we can make truth statements only if we
1: define truth as, you know, that which comports with reality or that which was is consistent, you know, deduced and derived from, let's say, the logical absolute. So it's, it's still contextual. Um, in, a, in a philosophic sense, uh, depending on how you define truth, you may have no pathway to truth. And, by the way, science doesn't make any sort of statement about truth. Uh, it doesn't even make a statement about certainty. It simply uh, right. creates models that are the best descriptions based on the information we have, and they are uh, considered colloquially... True, uh, you know, just because they continually to, to make continue to make predictions about the world that demonstrate that, yep, we've got the best model at least so far.
3: Yeah, it's like a kind of pragmatic, um, you know, uh, fa- fa- it relies on falsification and induction, and whereas this is more a priori, it's foundational. I'm a good old fashioned Cartesian in that regard, so I actually do think that they're absolute, but only in the sense that in order to deny them, you have to. Uh, make use of them. So and and like, see that
1: I I agree with you. By the way, for the for the guys in the booth, if we can uh, turn up the uh, the caller's volume that's being sent out here to the studio, that'd help a little bit because it's it's a little low. But I, I agree with you. And I used to talk about them as if they were absolute in the exact same contents t- context that you're talking about right now. Um, and because I get feedback from so many different people and philosophers and other stuff, I had to change the way I talked about it because if anything, I want Clarity, and evidently it was confusing some people when when you talk about how these things are absolute, uh, because it's it's kind of like the difference between uh, a universe from nothing and creationism ex nihilo, where there's a difference in what we mean by nothing between the two of them. Close,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I've watched your show for about a few years. I, I've not been watching it since like 1997 or whatever it is. But I think is that how old it is.
1: I think so. This is this is March, so I will have been hosting the show uh 11 either 11 or 12 years. 12, 12 years by the end of this month and the show has been on for 19, 18 something yeah. like that. We need to do the research so that, you know, because people like nice round numbers, we should have a celebration for our 20th anniversary. And I'm not sure that any of us pay enough attention to know exactly when that is.
2: Yeah, it's, it'll be in September or October. We're, this is our 20th season, but it,
1: our first show was was in the fall of nineteen. Oh, there it is so. in, the, in the bottom corner right here. Yeah. Uh, There's a season 20, episode 9, and the date. Somebody's already done the work that I'm too lazy to do.
3: <laughs> so... Could, sorry, could you just demonstrate, like, with a reductio, how it is that assuming that they're false requires that you presuppose them? Like, you know, laws, of logic.
1: Could I demonstrate trait vi- how a reductio has to use them in order to show that they're false? Well, I mean, you, you, you would imagine? need to have you would need to have some definition of true and false, right. and if you're going to engage in reasoning, if you're going to construct an argument, reasoning is is predicated on identity non-contradiction and excluded middle being true. And in order to say that they're not true, you would first have to either begin by assuming that they're true and then and then do a reductio, or you'd have to come up with some alternate mechanism by which we can reason and demonstrate why that reasoning should be preferable. Uh,
3: I've heard it like you could say that they're either false or not false, but not both or not neither. You know, like there's ways in which uh, they're not merely deemed true, but they are, you know, sort of true.
1: Well, one of the things is that when you when you take the three of them as a package, you're basically describing uh, a single Venn diagram with a single container, and so everything is either in the container or not in the container. Whether you want to label that as true and not true or false and not false, none of that matters. The, the identity and non-contradiction excluded middle don't care about what label is on the container. They basically just describe how you're either in the container or not. And so I'm unaware of any way that you could take the absolutes and put them in the container that it describes without beginning with that container. You'd need a whole other way of, of addressing it. And the only way people have tried to show, for example, that or that I'm aware of, uh, that there, that there are some situation or scenario where they wouldn't be true. Every instance of that has begun with the same sort of reasoning that describes this. So,
3: even in the very act of referring to something, you have to give it a metaphysical variable. You have to be able to talk about something you refer to something. Yeah. You already give it some kind of category, and then you distinguish it from what it's not. So it's operating at a meta level. That's the uh, that's the way in, in which I liked how you described it. I think on one episode. Yep. That it's sort of already implicit, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, just to finish up, that was pretty much it. Um, you know, they're not just true, but they're what truth and falsehood themselves, like, depend on. They're like, yeah, they're like meta truths, I suppose. They're truths of the nature of truth. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I I, I I appreciate the call. We're going to move on to some other callers. Take care.
3: Right. Thank you. Sure.
1: Yeah. All right. We've got. Uh... Sean in New Zealand, you're on there.
4: Hey Matt, hey uh, John, how's it going?
1: Hey Sean, good. Doing well.
4: Awesome. So um, I got this uh, bit of Christian propaganda in my mailbox the other day, and it says that um, God is not only loving but holy, and then beside holy in bracket, it's got perfect. Now, would you say that that's generally the way that Christians would um, attribute the word holy or are they just trying to make it seem more preferable to be a Christian because holy is so called perfect?
1: Oh, the, the propaganda is essentially equating holy with perfection. Yes. Yeah, and I, I really only see that as a as a propaganda technique because, um, one, it's kind of ingrained in us this idea, I guess, that holiness somehow equates to perfection or perfect goodness. So in classical theism where you have a God that is all knowing, all powerful, and all good, uh, this is true within Christendom to varying degrees depending on, you know, what the what the specific doctrines are. But yeah, it just seems to be kind of like a, a beginning presupposition that holiness is equivalent or similar to, to perfection or goodness. And I would actually want somebody to kind of define and describe what they mean by holiness and then evaluate whether or not this equates to goodness or perfection.
4: Yeah, that's uh, my thoughts exactly like, um, it's just frustrating, I got three of them in one day that basically all say the exact same thing, but in slightly different ways. So you end up looking at them because they look different, but they all have this basic same things in them. And it's it's just frustrating that they just mail everyone that sort of propaganda and yeah. Well, you
1: you see much the same thing with words like worship, if you've grown up in a culture where you've been taught that uh, worship is a good thing, this idea, and in some contexts, um, what they mean by worship might be where you're talking about respect and reverence if it is in fact earned. But this idea of uh, worship, of uh, caring about some idea or individual, be they uh, you know a, a deity or something supernatural or natural, um, to the point where they cannot. Be wrong, where there's no justification for not worshiping. and I've said before, you know if, if the Bible is an accurate description of of a God that exists, I will fully accept that that God exists if if the case is made, but that doesn't mean I'll worship him and I, and I'm also on record as saying that um, I think the very idea of worship is kind of repugnant, and that any being who might be worthy of that sort of veneration and respect would never demand or expect that kind of reverence and worship.
4: Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like going up to a homeless person and being like, so you're hungry and I have a sandwich for you, but first you have to lick my feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and you're not allowed to question why you have to lick the feet because I'm clearly better than you. Yeah. And the very, very pronouncement that you are better than them while you're expecting them to lick your feet is a demonstration that you are in fact not <laughs> better than them by any standard that I would consider good. I agree. I agree. Cool.
2: Sean, awesome. th- Thank you very much. Sean, were these uh, three mailings all from the same source, or are there three different… Yeah. Uh, okay, um, just... They
4: have a website, questionsonlife.com.
2: They just really, they all really… They suggest to go
4: there to further your… Um, uh, they're trying to offer a gift of Jesus and God, but you have to be willing to receive said gift. So to receive it, you need to go to their website to then praise god and tell him that you're sorry and you love him and when you say
1: you got these in your mailbox are you talking about an email or, or an actual physical uh,
4: physical mailbox and my actual address
1: i think one of the things that i like the most about these is that um they're spending money to print and mail things uh, i like it yeah. for two reasons uh, there are some of these organizations that i i don't find to be doing much of anything in the public interest and so they. The possibility of bankrupting them on, on mailers is, is at least, it, it might make me smile slightly. But I think it's also useful because um, many times some of these organizations are doing good things. They're, you know, helping to uh, the homeless in the community. They're helping education and other things. And if they're sending out money just to, or spending money just to proselytize, then I, I think it's worth pointing out that that money would probably be better spent Doing something actually useful, and you know, even if their church is already in or or religion is already involved in those other efforts.
2: Well, and it seems really excessive too. If you're not convinced after the second one, is the third one really going to be the thing that makes the difference? It's like,
4: yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) is there a point in like just flooding you with all the same information? I mean, you've read it, you know it, you're exposed to it already, right? Do they need to spend more money on it when they can't? Matt just said they could be spending it on more appropriate places, as well as the um, fact that we and already this... know that there's um, enough rubbish in the world, like literal rubbish, that we don't need to be adding paper waste and such to the detriment of the world.
1: There's another aspect of this which I've run across several times, and I, I know I've mentioned it, and, and I'm, I'm being serious here. This isn't a joke. I can't count the number of times. This happened in uh, Australia when I was there, and it happens in the United States, where I've run across somebody out on the street preaching. And they have this, I guess, uh, script, which begins with something along the lines of, have you heard about Jesus? Now, they, I don't think for a second that they're really convinced that they're likely, standing on the street in, in you know, somewhere in the Western world, that they're going to come across someone who's seriously never heard about Jesus. And, and so it, it seems to be starting the conversation on somewhat disingenuous terms. But there's another aspect to this, and that is uh, within some views of Christianity, when we talk about the end times, there's a mindset that Jesus can't come back until everyone has heard about him. And so these people who are standing out there aren't so much concerned about convincing you um, and actually leading you towards salvation as they are in filling their obligation to make sure that everybody heard. Their goal is to make sure everybody hears so we can hurry up and get to the end times and, and be spirited off to heaven and not everybody needs to hear because there's a, a good reason for them to hear and maybe uh, they can be saved. Uh, I know they don't tend to think of it that way but i think if you if you look at the actions they take this well it's not up to me to convince you that's up to the holy spirit they they pawn responsibility off to god which i think is a good idea uh cuz if you if you believe that there's a god who has this plan why does he need me to run around and do his his uh his phone dialing for him why does he need me to stand on the corner and tell people and why are there seemingly instructions from these gods to go do the killing on that god's behalf um I, I go back to the Steely Dan song I'm a fool to do your dirty work <laughs> and uh, and I think it's a, a a little telling that this is what at least from my perspective of what I see happening quite often
4: Yeah, God doesn't need a PA, he should be his own PA. Yeah,
1: I don't know why he can't just talk to all of us. On all right. that note thanks a lot for calling and uh, you know it, there's a lot of uh, mailers that get sent out chick tracks and other things um, uh, the ones that are fairly standard uh, especially if you're getting multiples of them it can be annoying, and it can also be amusing. I my wife has quite a collection of uh, theistic propaganda. I was going to say Christian, but we have some outside of that that she gathers. You know, if we end up in a church, or you know, I think we were at a at one of the rest areas one time where you know there's advertisements for caves and zoos, and here's everything you need to know about Jesus right there in, in the rest area type thing too. So, but it, it can be a fun collection. At least it's something to
4: potentially talk about. Maybe have some conversations. Yeah, good conversation starters, definitely. All right. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And
1: I'm not sure if this is typed correctly. Is it Jevon or Levon?
0: It's Jevon. Jevon.
1: Sorry. Thanks for waiting. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah. How are you doing? Um, I want to get to the point. Um, Christian devastation in the black community Um, I'm feeling it. I see it. I'm in Chicago. I used to live on the South side of Chicago and I'm not sure what can be done about this, especially when there's like, you know, four churches on one corner and multiple places on the South side of Chicago. I have no longer, um, with my family. I've, um, pretty much been ostracized on the outside of the family. I've moved into the city. And my point is, what can we do? What can be done? Because I don't think a lot of the, the atheist community out there understand how deeply the, the Christian religion, the Christian do- indoctrination has devastated and destroyed the black community. They just don't understand this. Um, I see it for myself. I, um, I lived it for myself. But what I, you know, what... Can't actually be done. I don't know but I want to put it out there. I want it to be known and I want to get your thoughts on this because you know um, Slavery number one. I believe that um In order to enslave people and get them to do your will you had to give them something to believe in and that, you know And otherwise those people would have probably rather have died, you know but they didn't because they had something to believe in deliverance or whatever else, you know, and I just think this is all a fallacy, and I, I, I think religion has done so much damage to the black community where they can't even pull themselves up out of it because, you know, they have to pray for everything. Everything is prayed for. They believe God is going to deliver this. it. They believe Jesus is going to pull them out of this poorness. It's not going to happen. The only thing that is going to pull us out of there is if we get our wits to ourselves, get educated, and, you know, and, and, and make decisions, you know, one after the other that leads to a better future or leads to a better result. You know, you can't pray for things, but this is so ingrained in my family, it's so ingrained in the people that surround me on a day-to-day basis, it's just starting to destroy me from the inside out. And I do not know how. There are some some um, non, the, the black non-believers, okay. non-believers of Chicago, they, they are here, but we really have no strength. We really have no voice. We can't overcome this indoctrination, this, this, this swelling of these, these mega-black churches, you know, pastor Meeks and stuff like that, who I used to go to before I, you know converted my, myself fully to atheism. but you know what why we it's a... more about this? What can we do?
1: It's a really complicated situation because, as I pointed out before, the Bible is very clear. You know, it it it, ad, it endorses or advocates uh, or permits or allows slavery and regulates it, and it was used in that sense. On the flip side of it, um, slavery was ended in part because of some vocal Christians who were opposed to it, dis- despite what their Bible says. Religions. Tend to prey on people's fears, and sometimes they invent particular fears. They have they have built in fear. Oh, you have a fear of hell, whether hell is real or not. We've let's give you a fear of hell, and we've the religions will essentially poison people with something because that makes sure that the religion is the only potential escape. It is the only cure to the disease that it has infected you with. It is uh, absolutely terrifying. On the flip side, um, religions have also been working in. Uh, charitable fashions and helping to build and support communities. So, what I see from my friends who participated, you know, in the black community and in black churches is that the you don't want to oversimplify the problem of the religion without recognizing at least that there are a number of people who go there and go to these churches not because they actually believe in a god, not because of any of the reasons that the religion might like, but because this is this is their social network this is their chance to interact with people this is where they may be able to go for aid and assistance and it seems to me that the the solution to that is to first of all educate let people know that you know this is at least in part what's going on um, organizations as you mentioned like black non-believers um, are specifically focused on helping the black community black churches people coming out of religions um, your particular ostracizing uh, is something we've heard from a number of different communities, not not the black one alone. Um, but I think that we as a secular community need to start doing a better job of filling in the gaps for the needs of people so that people don't feel obligated. Oh, well, the only place where I'm really going to get help is at church and to educate families so that if somebody in your family doesn't believe as you do, that your first instinct isn't to choose your religion over your relationships and cut them off. And that's a ton of work and what we need are people like you who've witnessed it firsthand uh to speak up, uh to get involved, you know, write articles, write letters to the editor, create blogs, do documentaries as, as some of my other friends have done to point out this harm because and and while I appreciate your, you know, you calling the show, uh I don't know that any, I can do anything other than be supportive of those efforts. It's, the, I think it would be absolutely a, a horrible strategic move, uh, for the pasty old bearded fat white guy to Pretend as if he's going to be the white knight savior for the black community. I, I can't.
0: Yeah, it's not right about that. It's I can't get any
1: that. traction there at all. And so instead, what, I, what I'm going to continue to do is support humanism, support rational thought, support skepticism, right. and support the people who are trying to do that work. Uh, people like uh, you know Mandisa Thomas and others who are building these communities and reaching out to within these communities to say, "Hey, guess what." Being black is not synonymous with being Christian, no matter what church you went to or how much you like it. And there are some of us out here who don't fall into this, and there is a place for you to step free of this. Um, it, It shouldn't be, the. in an ideal world, if a bad set of beliefs or a bad organization is luring people in with candy, it shouldn't be the case that you have to also give those people candy in order to get them away from it. But the, the actual reality is that you might need to do something like that just to get enough attention to show them how they're being manipulated. And the, the you have to do all this while keeping in mind that while we can view religions in a manipulative sense, it's not like every preacher in every church is out for money or power. These people genuinely as far as we can tell and in most cases, genuinely believe what they're saying and they genuinely believe they're helping people. It's not like the pastors are this this top tier that are lying to people about the prayer they need. Most pastors come right up out of the pew at some point um, and, and most of them aren't getting rich. So there's there's no easy answer but I think you've demonstrated um, what needs to happen a lot more and that is for people like you to speak out and for all of the rest of us to say yes this
0: well, on that note, you know, I don't want to hold on, and I and I appreciate your. Well, I, I think you know,
2: John talk, has But I do want to. Okay, go ahead, John. Oh yeah, I was just going to add, keep doing what you're doing and speaking out. Um, I think Matt hit the nail on the head when he said people are looking for community, and if they find it in the church, they gravitate towards the church. Whether they actually buy every bit of dogma that that's being pushed there, so they might buy none of it or or none of
1: it and we already know from the clergy project that there are active pastors in the pulpit who don't believe and they feel trapped because they now have no skill set with which to go get another job they've been preaching in many cases from the time they were children this is all they know and so what they've joined the clergy project and what some of them are doing are changing the way they give sermons so that they're far more uh... about community about secularism and I, i tell you i think a good example of somebody who kind of got rich, got very, very rich doing this, is Joel Osteen. Um, because I have family members who are fundamentalists who look at Joel Osteen and say, I can't even see how anybody could think this person is Christian. Because yeah, he, makes me
2: sick.
1: He's essentially a motivational speaker. How often does he mention Jesus? How often does he point to scripture? I mean, uh, it seems to be like a matter of convenience, and he seems to be a a power of positive thinking Motivational speaker who now has a megachurch filling up what used to be a basketball stadium.
0: Yeah, but his basis is using religion, and that's the problem. Uh, But uh, I go just just to say this, you know, I I, I, you know I first you know I know I called in and I'm talking about the black community, but I wanted to say this: we are all human. There's only one race, and it's called human. Other than that, there's different cultures amongst the human race, and black is one of the cultures of the human race, just as white and anybody else. So I want to just, you know, if you can't allow me, all those black people that's out there that can hear this, please join Facebook, join some of our communities, join some type of, um, you know, um, atheist community and, 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 and reach out for us, you know, because we're trying to grow. We're trying to become something more than just stuck in the dogma of religion and in the indoctrination world. And we need, to, we need to raise our next generation better than that, all, all, for all human beings, all people, and for the world. So that's all I want to say. Thank you, Matt, and for the last two years. All right, I'm out.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Javon.
0: Yeah. And
2: I'll give you a hearty amen. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Um, keep being an example to, it, to the black community and to others that yeah. there's another way. I, I confess I've never really understood why the black community embraced Christianity so much when it was used as a justification for centuries
1: for slavery. Because uh, another portion of it was also used as a justification in slavery. Yeah, it was a little bit. And it's because of the community support. It's one of those things where you can't always be aware of somebody else's condition, and so when I've actually spoken to people who are in these, they, they, they will caution me left and right, Make sure you're careful about what you say, because in many cases you're talking about single black mothers who have this one resource as their entire community, and a lot of them couldn't give a rat's ass about you know the doctrinal stuff.
2: Yeah, they need help, and if we can work on ways that non-believers can provide the same community and the same help and the same social support and networking, or better, or better. At least, yeah, at least is good because <laughs> then we're not, we're not
1: offering you a ham sandwich, but making you listen to a sermon first. But churches have a, a
2: built-in advantage too; they're they're exempt from all taxes, and we're nonprofit. We're exempt from some taxes, but when you're a church, you're exempt from all taxes. So they you know they can do it a lot more cost-effectively than we can, unfortunately.
1: Yep. And they've been doing it longer. And the positive takeaway from all of this is that we're seeing a a gradual change in the makeup, at least in the United States, where the nuns, the N-O-N-E's, the people who don't ascribe to any religion, are increasing at a rate that outpaces most religions, where church attendance is on the drop, uh, on the decline, where the conversations about this are becoming uh, more frequent, more public, and where you have the Reason Rally coming up um, you know, this summer, and there will be plenty of people there. Uh, yes, we'll have uh, a lot of celebrities who are identifying you know, as secular and supporting reason, et cetera, but we know from the Clergy Project, from Recovering from Religion, from um, just getting phone calls into the show, the amount of email we get from people who are in troubling situations, the, the world is changing, and the uh, state of affairs for most religions in the United States is not in a particularly good spot. The Internet has massively, I mean, the kind of de facto quote is that the Internet is the place where religions come to die uh, because of the impact of more information, more conversations. And uh, I think that, you know, while I share um, his frustration, I have an incredibly optimistic and positive outlook for the future, uh, at least in some regards, whether or not we're... We, we save ourselves from destruction or who we vote for, et cetera. but you know but as far as uh, reason winning out and, and evidence uh, a reality based worldview, I, I think it's inevitable that that's what happens. It can be incredibly frustrating that it hasn't happened instantly as soon as hey, I recognize this. Why can't everybody else? <laughs> More conversations.,'re yep, getting there. So we got um, there we go. John on line four, Thanks for waiting.
5: Hey, how you guys doing?
1: Doing I, pretty well,
2: John.
5: Right on. I'm a fan of the show. I just uh, discovered you guys like maybe two months ago or something like that. I've been watching you guys in retrospect. So uh, good job, thanks.
1: You know, you sound like Stephen Wright on the phone. Do I really? A little bit. I a mean, if you were right? if you were to do Stephen Wright jokes, I think I, I might have bought it.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I could probably play the guy on the couch from Half Baked because like he doesn't really say anything in the movies. And that would be like the easiest role ever.
1: <laughs> so what do you have for us?
5: Uh, well, there was two things that I uh, wanted. to... I'm like a, I'm a former Christian, I guess you could say, but probably mostly because of you guys. Uh, there's a few things. I know you're a, a former fundamentalist Christian, so mm-hmm. um, I, I imagine you're probably familiar with C.S. Lewis and his kind of apologetic work. Yeah. But uh, he had an argument uh, regarding the intelligent design. I find kind of compelling. I kind of like. I'm not calling with any sort of agenda or anything like that. I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on on something he said. It was. Um, I don't, like, stop me if you've heard this, but uh, he it was supposing that there's no intelligence behind the universe or no designer. And yep. that would mean that nobody designed his brain for uh, the purpose of thinking, which would mean that any sort of thought that he had or that we would have would just be atoms inside of our skull happening. for And that's where
1: computers. he makes a terrible mistake. Okay. Yeah, there's a fallacious, and I've talked about C.S. Lewis before. Actually, if you go to patreon.com slash atheist debates, that's uh, where I tend to put up my own apologetics and counter apologetics. I put the argument from design, and I believe that I may have mentioned C.S. Lewis in that one. If not, I've talked about him elsewhere. Um, This particular idea that if we begin with this understanding that there wasn't a purpose To the universe that resulted in my mind then that means the thoughts taking place in my mind are merely just uh happenstance it's just atoms colliding and there's nothing about it that ties and that is demonstrably false because in what way it, it is it is false in the sense that we know that the patterns in my mind um correlate with facts about reality And that some people are better able to construct ideas that correlate with reality. We can compare them. Uh, I can get feedback from John. Now granted, we are assuming that I am not in fact the only mind, but as long as we're going to have a conversation, I think it's probably a good assumption to start with. But I can, if I have this understanding of reality, I can talk to John, I can talk to other people to get independent verification, and then we can try to see how much, how consistent is my internal model of reality with the reality I experience. And I don't see any demonstration that the only way that could come about is if there was a brain that was designed to do this. Because when we talk about evolution, when we look at the broad spectrum of life that's on the planet and the varying ability, the varying cognitive abilities there. Um, our close relatives in, in the primates have uh, functions that are similar to ours. They, you know, we've demonstrated, you know, ideas of fairness and stuff like that. And as you as you move around to the other species, they have different levels of comprehension. And so what seems to almost be happening is, uh, Lewis and others almost want to ignore this broad spectrum of cognitive ability, single in on ours, and claim that there's something special about it, that it couldn't have happened any other way than by the accidental uh, forces of nature, or, or that it couldn't have happened by the accidental, that there must have been some sort of intelligent designer. Uh, I don't I, see. I don't see any justification for that. First of all, even if we had no evidence about how consciousness arises, about how cognitive abilities could have formed, now let's let's remove all those other brains that they want to remove and let's even remove the uh, billions of years of of history of earth, of the hundreds of millions of years of evolution that directly pertain to our cognitive functions. Let's remove all that and just say, "Here I am, I'm able to think." How did I, how did I get to the point where I'm able to think? I don't, how do you, how do you make the argument that the, not only the best explanation, but the only explanation is that some supernatural, all-powerful thinking being specifically created it for this purpose? You don't have enough information to conclude that, and we have no way of investigating the supernatural, so we can't confirm that the supernatural exists at all, and we can't confirm that it interacts with the natural world at all. So when we're looking okay. at what is a potential explanation, the supernatural hasn't been demonstrated as actual or probable okay. or even possible. So we don't get to appeal to it. And the best explanation would, at this point, given the scenario I've constructed, is I have no idea why I'm okay. able to think. And when... Okay, when well, given... The, go ahead.
5: So, sorry, I was going to say, given that we have no idea, um, like, so we can only draw conclusions based on our reason or... Um by, by logic or how, like by reason, essentially. Uh, don't you think it would be a sensible or reasonable um, conclusion, not necessarily a conclusion, but um, a hypothesis of like how it came about is that our brain was designed for thinking by some sort of like, well, I guess we don't have to call it God, but some sort of like um, uh designer or some sort of force, uh, that is being like some sort of medical force. Do, do you agree that that could be a reasonable conclusion? Like well, not necessarily. Of like this is it could have only happened this way, but it just that like possibly it could have happened this way.
1: I I understand why people would find it compelling to perhaps offer that as a hypothesis. My question is, mm-hmm. how do you test it, and is that hypothesis falsifiable? True enough. Okay. And if it's not, then it becomes a useless proposition until such time as we can test it
2: okay All right. okay cool
1: i guess Thanks. i guess i don't understand
2: uh, c s lewis's argument either it's it's so what if your consciousness is atoms moving around in your brain physical atoms what how is that a how is that an argument against um or for design or for design if if it well, if, if it's like just you atoms would it's, like
5: it would be like um if I could use his own words, it would be like upset, like to trust one's own consciousness, not having it been designed by any uh, higher being. Uh, to use his own words, it would be like upsetting a jug of milk and hoping that it would splash itself into a map of London.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, like, it you is. Know, it like, is like, by definition an it. argument from ignorance, uh, and in this case, kind of, of almost an argument from it, incredulity. And his analogy uh, about splashing the milk and, and, and thinking that it would, you know, form correctly denies what we know about evolution and in the, in the length of time and the processes that take place. So if you begin with a simple, uh, like a like a, a brain, and this is going to be an, an abstract and, and definitely doesn't map to what we know from evolution, but let's say we begin with a simple brain that can only tell uh, whether or is, is in a position where it needs to tell, is it light out or is it dark out? That's all, that's the only thing, is it light or is it dark? Um, the brains that get that right are the ones that are likely to go on to produce offspring. <laughs> the, the, just, so just for that single concept, and we have animals in the animal kingdom who basically that's, that's their only concern: am I exposed in the light, or am I concealed in the darkness? And this becomes, for some animals, the primary factor in determining uh, are they are they safe. And, and it's the most important decision they can make. From there, it's just a matter, of, and I know that, like I said, this is abstract and incorrect. From there, it's just a matter of, hey, let's add one more thing to it. And now it's two things we gotta worry about. And eventually, you don't have to, you don't have to follow this through to its conclusion of, yes, but I can hold millions of thoughts in there. Because it's not the thoughts that, that evolution selects for. It's the processes. It's, this brain has received some input. Is it able to consistently make predictions uh, about what it can expect acting on that input? Um, and it doesn't have to be crazy complex. And it's an iterative process.
2: It's not the. It's like that stupid argument about, you know, if a tornado goes through a junkyard, will yeah. it f- accidentally form a seven forty seven? That's that's not how evolution works. So it's coming up with this absurd analogy that has no bearing on on you know, what's actually going on, and then saying, see how silly that is? It can't possibly be true. Well, no, because your analogy is stupid.
1: It's one of the, it's one of the situations where if we knew nothing, our answer would be, I don't know. And yet we don't know nothing. We know a lot of things. And what we've learned is more consistent with the facts that we've discovered about evolution. And the hypothesis that you had suggested, that there was an intelligent designer, that has had no support. And it doesn't. There doesn't sure. seem to be any way to get any support for it. How do you investigate the supernatural? How do you confirm what it can or can't do? And it can't be a reasonable, accepted hypothesis if, it, if you can't test it. So. I see. Okay.
5: okay. Um, well, I have one more question. Um, I've heard you say uh, several times in, um, in like, uh, in your show, uh, that knowledge is a subset of beliefs. Yeah. Okay, um, that uh, like, if I'm understanding that right, it means uh, that belief depends. You need knowledge in order in order to believe.
1: No, that would be belief as a subset of knowledge. Here are here's a set of beliefs. Some subset okay. of that are the beliefs that we identify and label as knowledge.
5: Okay, uh, could you explain it in more layman's terms? I guess I'm not quite understanding. Um, like when you say knowledge is a subset of belief, like what exactly do you mean by? It?
1: Yeah. So I don't know if you can see the screen, but if we were to take all, all, every, if we were to take every belief you have and put it into a bag, just write them down. Yeah. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this, and put them in a bag, and label that bag beliefs. And then we have a second bag that we're going to label knowledge. Is there anything you could put into the second bag that isn't already in the first? Uh, Is it possible to know something but not believe it?
5: I think well I I've always been under the un, understanding that knowing something it eliminates belief. In in like in, in the sense of like if I were to tell you like um, tell
1: me something you know.
5: Th- uh there is a uh, snow outside of my house right now that I'm looking
1: Okay. At. Do you also believe that that's the case?
5: Well, I can't really believe that because I know it. If like no, if I, if let's no, say let's say I didn't look outside belief, and told me to
1: belief hear. Belief is just, I accept that this proposition is true or likely true. That's it.
5: Okay. All right. Uh, but, But I was under the understanding that belief, like the very nature of belief, was ignorance. Like if I were to say to somebody, like, there's a dead raccoon in your backyard... Um then they hadn't been in their backyard, they would either have to believe me or not believe me based on whatever reason they would have to believe me or not believe me. But as soon as right. they were to go into the backyard and see that there is like let's say they went in there, they saw a dead raccoon there. Yeah. There's really no room left for faith. They don't they well, no, I'm, I'm no not room. talking
1: about faith. I'm not talking about but faith. Belief,
5: belief,
1: belief. So you tell me there's a dead raccoon in my yard, and I could yeah. either believe you or not believe you. Okay. okay. Let's say you yeah. tell both of us, John and I, there's a dead raccoon outside. And I believe you and John doesn't. And we go outside and we investigate. And there is, in fact, a dead raccoon out there. Now, we know that to be the case, given this Mm -hmm. version of knowledge we're using. I believed it before. I still believe it. John didn't believe it before. And now Mm -hmm. he does. I see. That's how how I understand it. So philosophically, knowledge often gets defined as justified true belief. Essentially... Here's the bag full of beliefs that I have. The, I'm going to go through them and I'm going to say, you know, I believe this, but my confidence level isn't particularly high. I don't have good justification for this. I haven't investigated a term out of it. It's true. I believe it. I may have good reasons, but I'm not going to say that I know this. Quite often, yeah. when somebody says, I know something, they're not giving you any useful information. What, they, what they're really saying is, I really, 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 really believe this. They're, mo- yeah. they're expressing yeah. a confidence level. Now, faith, okay. faith, uh, yeah. your belief could be for good reasons or bad reasons. You know, I might believe mm-hmm. you that there's a raccoon outside, but my reasons could be bad. I could just take it on faith that you're telling me the truth. Yeah. Or I could mm-hmm. smell something and put together pieces of evidence to where I've concluded that your your claim is reasonable, so I'm willing to mm-hmm. accept it, but I still don't. I'm not sufficiently convinced and and my belief isn't sufficiently justified that I would say I know it. That's the distinction.
5: Exactly. And that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at here is that like the very nature of belief would have well, and I don't want to get into anything like the, the meaning of words or like semantics or anything like that. But I was always under the impression that the very nature of belief itself was ignorance that until you know something, you would either have to believe or disbelieve something. And then as soon as you know it, there's really no room left for belief.
1: Yeah, Do I um, just have this well, as soon as you know it, you either start believing as well, or you continue mm-hmm. to believe belief just means acceptance of a proposition is true knowledge or likely, is, true. Yeah, or likely true yes thank you uh, or knowledge and knowledge is some belief that is true and justified under, under the justified true belief uh, or more commonly in the colloquial sense it is a belief that you are very 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 convinced about and I I've argued that probably the most useful definition of knowledge is a belief that one is sufficiently convinced of that it would be worldview altering to find out it was wrong um, this relies a little too much on, on the individual confidence level, but this is why there's a whole field of philosophy or, around epistemology. What do we know? How do we know it? What is knowledge? And to get back to the caller we had earlier on, uh, do we have any pathway to truth?
2: So, uh, Yeah, so I just, uh, that's my understanding of belief, too, and I think uh, faith, like you mentioned earlier, faith is probably a better word for that concept of believing something uh with you know, for no good reason or yeah. for no, you know that you don't have any justification for. And then, then I would agree. Once you look at the dead raccoon in your yard, you no longer have faith that it's there. You now have knowledge that it's there. Um, but yeah, I think
1: belief is is still there even when you have the knowledge. And it gets I confusing see. too. And I know you wanted to stay away from semantics. So I'll just toss this out. That we're talking about knowledge in the philosophical context. There's another uh, knowledge thing, which simply means familiarity with. I know John. That's not a. a uh, that's yeah. not an assessment of whether or not John is true. It's say it's it's using the word know to say I am familiar with and acquainted with John. Uh, so mm-hmm. English is a wacky language. It is English is is an <laughs> yeah, incredibly is. terrible language in in some respects. And yeah, right for down sure. to spelling yeah, in, of In things.
5: French, there's two different words for no that uh, apply to, like, both of those things that you're both talking about. And they're two different words. In English, we have just one word to represent the two meetings, which is, yeah, English is, is weird like that.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate the call, John. Thanks for hanging out with us. I
5: appreciate you taking my call. Uh, have a good uh, rest of the night. We'll to
1: you too. Thanks, John. All right. And we've got Greg in, uh, is it California? Or is it? Hello. Hey, Greg, how are
6: you? I'm great, Matt. How are you? Doing pretty well. Good. So, yeah, I have a question for you. Um, this is probably more on the historical basis than theological, but, you know, I've listened to you and read some of the works of uh, Bart Ehrman, the biblical scholar. Yeah. And, um, you know, he tells, uh, like, you know, a lot of other people have told stories of um you know Jesus uh, and you know the we have the virgin birth and you know the miracles performed the resurrection so this kind of story uh has been told um about Jesus but also about other people and uh, around the same era or before in ancient uh, Rome so and those times in, in antiquity so I was wondering um why do you think that The Jesus story um, picked up traction, and even probably despite quite a bit of resistance, um, both from, you know, Rome itself and the authorities, and then later on just, you know, people being, I suppose, skeptical of these things, um, that story, however, you know, somehow proliferated and and grew, you know, into, into I suppose you say, what it is today, you know, with the, being the largest followed religion. So, well, you know, what, what do you think it second. was, I mean, about that particular story compared to all the other similar ones that allowed it to, you know, gain traction in the world and proliferate? Why is Justin Bieber so popular? I I think that people think he has charismatic and sings well, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So
1: people are attracted to certain things if you have put together a pretty good uh uh mythos attached to a figure I mean we've seen these, you you mentioned we've seen these stories before why would one catch on more than another well maybe there are aspects of this story that resonated with more people at the right time um and while there was certainly opposition there was also uh, considerable support uh right down to you know the uh uh 325 AD. The the oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name, but the the support from Constantine and others in governments. Um, there were wars fought where there were differences in religion. There were uh, essentially uh, religious or Christian board meetings where they voted on who was going, who was Orthodox and who wasn't. What was going to get into the Bible and what, what wasn't. In some cases, it benefited due to significant figures in government authority helping to spread it around. Um, and in other cases it, it grew because it felt good to certain people and it resonated with certain people and they told it to people it resonated with. Um, I don't know that we could ever say, here is the reason why this, this story became popular and some other didn't. All we can do is point to a number of different factors, but at no point does the popularity of the story tell us anything at all about whether or not it's true. And I think you can also look at how it hasn't necessarily spread into other regions, uh, where their stories that perhaps existed earlier or that resonated better with those people. I mean, if you go to, you know, Israel, it's not like, um, Jesus, the Jesus narrative particularly, uh, has captured this country where it essentially started. And if you go out into uh, the Arabic world, where there's you know Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist traditions, um, yes, it can make inroads there, but it didn't flourish there. And so it flourished with this group of people, who, by the way, happened to be the descendants, uh, the, the modern people where, where it flourished, are the descendants of people who were uh, very imperialistic in going out and and taking over places. And this is where the power was. You could say, ah, the reason it it Flourished was because it's the one that's true, or that God favored those people. Uh, but then you'd have to explain why God has seemingly, or gods have seemingly, also favored uh, other people at different times in different ways. And so, at the end, mm-hmm. there's there's no way to discern uh, that the likely reason is that it has anything to do with whether or not it's true. And. As we see things like church attendance declining, um, the number of people identifying with a particular religion may be on the decline. What we know of the history of religions is that they tend to die out and fade off. You know, the the, the one the religion that used to dominate the world at one point uh, is now uh, almost a joke that, um, you know, who, who believes in Thor other than an Avengers fan? I know that there are, I hear you know, getting emails from them, people saying, oh, I believe in the ancient Greek gods or the ancient Roman gods. But they... they they're clearly not popular anymore and yet at one time they were significant in in with the people who controlled a good chunk of the world
2: i do think that the main reason yeah well i do think the main reason that it got traction though was the state support and the power that went along with it i think if if constantine hadn't done that it it would have looked totally different uh, you know as well as the european governments during the middle ages and all that is that that really was the reason it took off in my opinion
1: there's also a clever aspect to it, yeah. which I've, I've talked yeah. about before, which is when you go through like the Sermon on the Mount and other things. There's a lot in Christianity that encourages the view that you will be persecuted, that you will be victimized. Um, you know, all the well, I, I, most of the Gospels talk about this idea of persecuted for my name's sake and everything else. And so, if the process by which we get rid of other religions that we don't like is to kill the people in, in, in those religions. Then a religion that basically convinces people they're going to come after you, they're, you are going to need to be martyred, you are going to be persecuted. Uh, then, as soon as they start coming after you, that tends to give the impression that the religion predicted this, and therefore it must be right. Hey, we knew people were going to think we're terrible, and and I, I think that's you know something not to be overlooked um, because a lot of we cite a lot of Christian persecution in the early first second century. Um, and, and beyond as well. Uh, but in every situation that we can investigate, they used that, the fact of that persecution to bolster the belief of the people in it. The same as you would with uh, trying to create martyrs in Islam. There's some, this mechanism. In other religions, we create martyrs by convincing them that the more devout they are, the more the world is going to want to take them out. And that becomes a kind of a self-reinforcing prophecy or delusion
6: yeah I think probably the um after the first couple hundred years or it, it may be what I'm referring to more in that um it you know it does look to me like um Jesus was an apocalypticist more than anything else, and that um when you look at uh, any other references outside of the Gospels there's not all that many references to jesus so it it seems unlikely you know, if you had a bet on it just you know that if you could go back to the day and bet on it whether or not you know that kind of a following would have grew to the point where uh constantine uh, um you know adopted christianity as a religion of rome so it i'm just curious about this first few hundred years and how it, w- it would be possible that that story uh, over all the other ones um you know got, got traction with the population that, that was my
1: yeah, and I'm not. I'm not convinced that it actually was getting a ton of traction in those early years. And I would agree with you. You know, if, if you didn't know how things turned out, uh, you might be tempted to say this is a really bad bet. Um, how many other bad bets turned into something that bore fruit? Uh, how many good fruit, good bets didn't? And this is this is a problem of, of trying to reach a conclusion based on insufficient information. And even if it seemed outlandish. Like, there's just no way that a religion with these particular doctrines could ever gain traction. The fact that it does still doesn't tell you anything about whether or not the doctrines
6: are true. All right, yeah, I agree with that part for sure. All right. Okay. Well, you guys do a great job there in and in a valuable service. I really appreciate uh, the, all the shows and time you put into it. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Greg.
2: Another example of that martyred. Uh, it would be the Mormon Church, right? Where you know they had this insular community that was very persecuted um, by the rest of society, and they that that lends a certain amount of cohesion to the group and um, you know vehemence, I guess, to further its mission. So you know something in more modern times. Yeah, and it tends to
1: be the case. I would I would suspect that um, as long as that vehemence doesn't strongly put them at odds with somebody that is of a, of a bigger power base, um, that as long as you're basically pushing out proportional to the strength of your base, then you can do that as soon as you push too far. So cult leaders will use this sort of isolation mentality of making sure you, you need to depend on us. And I've said before, and I agree, uh, and I don't think it's original to me, that cult is the label that the big per- church puts on the little church. Uh, to me, they're all cults. Um, I know the pr- preferences for, to use the word sex or denomination. Um, and that not all cults, even under my definition, are created equal. Not, they're not all equally harmful. And they're not all proselytizing. For example, why didn't Judaism become more popular? Because Judaism has this idea within it that you need to be born into the house of Israel. There's uh, actually, obstacles in place in order for you to convert to it. I've never had, never in my entire life have I had my doorbell rung, and I've never heard of anybody having the doorbell rung by someone saying, you know, "Hey, I'm a Jew, and I'm here to try to convince you to be one too." That, that just doesn't really happen. I'm sure now I'll get an email from somebody who had that experience. <laughs> um, uh, that's what happens when you kind of generalize, but. So uh we got about maybe twenty five minutes left in the show. I wanted as a reminder after the show's over, we get together and go to dinner and I believe, and the booth can correct me, uh that we're still going to Threadgills. It says Threadgills. right there. Threadgills, sixty four sixteen North Lamar. Uh we'll be on the air till about six PM Central and probably over there by six fifteen, six thirty, as as some of us finish up the cleanup here. Um we're we'll to go on to Sarah. Thanks for waiting. Hi. Hi, Sarah.
7: Um I just kind of, I don't know, um, I've watched the Atheist experience a couple times um, in the past year. Uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm kind of questioning, I guess. Um, I know you were studying to be a pastor, I believe.
1: Yeah, that was the goal.
7: Um, well, I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I'm kind of... Thinking I may be an atheist, but I keep having. Anytime I kind of think like that, I keep feeling like I don't know if it's guilt or if it's fear, but kind of. Um,
1: yeah. So.
7: I, don't, I mean, like, I'm trying to figure out if it's the Holy Spirit or if.
1: Right. I'm, you know. <laughs> this is exactly what I was talking about. This idea that if you that if religions have a built in protection, it, it helps keep you there. And if you've been taught from birth that you need to have this particular walk with Christ. And that doubts are evil, and the doubts are the, the devil's way of trying to get in. Then, when you begin to have doubts, even no matter how reasonable they are, there is the possibility that you're going to begin to feel guilty and anxious, and is, you know, is God trying to convict you with something with the Holy Spirit? Are you being punished, you know, for this? Uh, is someone trying to, you know, is God trying to nudge you in the right direction? At one point, at actually my falling away point when I found my way free from, from Christianity, Uh, My goal was to become a minister. My goal was to do my what I thought God wanted me to do in in helping spread the word and lead people to Christ. And as I started this process of falling away, every time I would find something, uh, read something that an atheist wrote or even that somebody wrote in another religion about what was wrong with Christianity... Uh, I would say, oh, that's not right. And then I would go off and study, and, well, maybe it's kind of right. Well, yeah, maybe it is right. I had lost my job and everything else. I, w- I had been convinced f- as a teenager that God wanted me to preach, and so members of my family were convinced as well. And I didn't want to do that. I was terrified of public speaking. I didn't want to... Uh, it just it didn't feel right. And I thought, okay, so I joined the Navy for eight years. I worked in tech for a number of years. And then it all got taken away. And my immediate reaction is... This is God punishing you for not becoming a preacher like He told you to when you were a teenager too. And so that's what put me on the path. It was, you know, I wasn't looking for a way out. I wasn't looking for, uh, I was convinced that what I believed was true and real. You know, when people call and say, look at the trees and and we laugh, I was a look at the trees type of believer. It, this was just intuitive. It seemed obvious. My entire life had been surrounded by all the people who believed the same things I did. And I don't want to be the, the one who's ostracized. I don't want to be, you know, I was, my uncle was a, a, a medical doctor and a missionary for a number of years. He was the most educated and spiritually wise person on one side of our family. And when he found out that I was an atheist, he called me. And what went through my head was, wow. This is going to be the biggest test ever because here's like, uh, you know, this is it. This is the the family's hallmark representation of a really good Christian. And he's incredibly well thought, well read and educated on all of this. This is my test. And, you know, pass or fail, I could almost view this as a challenge directly from God. And then he offered up Pascal's wager and my heart just sank because It didn't prove to me that there was no God, but it certainly demonstrated that this individual who I revered had no better understanding of God than I did, and as a matter of fact may have had a, a worse understanding of the subject matter. And people will write me sometimes and say, you know, I know that God's going to do a powerful work in your life and you're going to come back to the fold stronger. And Or they'll present an argument. And what I've told a number of them is, You believe that God's real and that he wants me to know that he's real. I tried desperately to confirm this. That was my only goal. And you come to me and you offer the same bad arguments and the same flawed reasoning. What I'd like you to do is go off and talk to God and ask God what you should say to me. Because if God tells you to say something or you are convinced that God has told you to say this, and it is a fallacy-ridden horribly uh, evidenced argument, then I'll know either that this God is less reasonable than I am, and less understanding of reality than I am, or that what you think you're hearing from God is really just your inner dialogue. And when I started recognizing this over and over again, any lingering guilt or concerns that God was convicting me vanished. Because if there is a God I don't know what would change my mind. But if there is a God, that God knows exactly what would change my mind, should be capable of doing it. And if he cares to have a relationship, then why should I have to learn countless dead languages and sit around doubting myself and engaging in debates and looking through arguments and trying to find hidden meanings? Why can't he just say, hey, I'd like to have a relationship with you? And any God who would condemn someone for not believing when they haven't done their due diligence to encourage that re- that relationship, isn't a God worthy of that relationship? And while he may be able to squash me like a bug, I will be squashed in the not arrogant, but demonstrably reasonable conviction that I'm a better human being, morally and intellectually, than the person that would punish me for that.
7: Yeah, and I understand that. Um, it's just kind of... I mean that makes a lot of sense to me like on a logical level but then I feel like well that's when they tell you well your faith comes in you know God's ways aren't our ways like we don't understand the way he works and you know sometimes like through us distrusting him it's like a learning experience or you're going to become blessed like through like so let's,
1: let's say you're God and you create a bunch of people and you create them so that they aren't capable of understanding you whose fault is that? How can you fault the creations that you made for their inability to understand you? This is my thing. I'm not saying there is no God. I'm just saying if there is a God, there's been no demonstration of this. There's been no attempt to communicate, and any God that would, you know, punish me. I mean, I I get what you're saying. Is there any uh, belief that you couldn't continue or feel compelled to maintain out of fear of consequences that are asserted.
7: Were you asking me a question?
1: Oh, I, it, it was—it was somewhat rhetorical. Essentially, the, the sort of guilt and fear of potential consequences that you're talking about. Yes. That—that um, that is inconsistent with the God I believed in—a God of love, a God who wanted to, you know, to have a relationship with people. Um, but if that kind of God exists, I wouldn't want anything to do with them anyway. And I know that th- that doesn't resonate with everybody.
2: Mhm. I just um, want. to yeah, acknowledge. I, 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 get... I just yeah. want to acknowledge Sarah that the, that that the, your fear and doubt is real, and um, I, I I know it's difficult to kind of reason yourself out of fear and doubt, and you may just need to sit with it a while and kind of let it you know let it sit for a while and think about it and until you come to a different place or you don't but yeah um it's it's not an easy thing to let go of stuff that's that deeply ingrained so i i just i guess i just wanted to acknowledge that that it's it's not as easy as just hearing an argument and saying oh yeah you're right i you
1: know yeah the the very idea that you know you're you're talking to the potential jackass who's been a non-believer and hosting a TV show for a dozen years, and so it's it's easy for me to dismiss the guilt that I once had or once felt or fear that I felt uh, because I have conquered it. Uh, John's absolutely right. And it
2: took you some time to go through that you know, same thing, that same process. So, And, and the amount of time
1: it takes to be different for different people. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say that irrespective of what your actual beliefs are, the fact that you care enough to think about it and um, are u- understanding, you know, the uh, the subject matter and how you feel about it, uh, you have to weigh that against the beliefs as well. But at the end of the day, you can only believe, as your conscience dictates, As you, you only believe the things that you're convinced of. Um, and... I, did, I definitely would encourage you to not be very hard on yourself. Um, no. If it's true, if if the beliefs that you have are true, then you're doing absolutely the right thing. And if they're false, and this is the the protective mechanisms that are the result of indoctrination, then it's also not your fault that you're experiencing these sorts of things. And you're not remotely alone, which is why we have organizations like Recovering from Religion, which is why uh, psychologists like uh, Marlene Winnell are are diagnosing and treating uh, religious trauma syndrome from people who have been, uh, you know, have found their way out of religion, and yet still, I, I've heard from atheists who wake up fifty years later with a nightmare about a hell because that's what they were indoctrinated with as, as a child.
7: Yeah, and I mean that's kind of that's the other thing. I question: Do I really believe in the first place? Because, or is it just fear alone? Because you do wake up and you worry. Like, well, not particularly. Not everybody wakes up, but like, I still worry about hell. And, um, it's Do you not worry so about the hell
1: of other religions? No. I, that's all I wanted to say. Just consider that along with it.
7: Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks. I guess that's really all I
1: had to say. Sure. And by all means, you know, call back. Let us. We'll try and answer things. We're not necessarily pretending to have the answers to questions. And everybody's process is different. Um, there are the organizations you can reach out to, and the Recovering from Religion even has a hotline. And you don't have to be a, an avowed atheist dealing with something to call that hotline. You can just be, you know, I'm not sure what I am, or maybe I still believe, or I'm doubting, or I'm experiencing these, ang- you know, this anxiety over it. Uh, and there are people there that'll talk to you.
7: Okay. All right. Well, thanks.
1: Sure. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. So, yeah, we've got uh, full lines in about, oh, I don't know, 14 or so minutes left on here. Did you did you look through the screening to see if there's somebody you wanted to talk to? Oh, probably Bernard or Brian. All right. We'll go with uh, Bernard next. Thanks for waiting. In uh, London, Ontario.
8: Hey, yes, hello. Hello. Hi.
2: Yes,
1: how are you?
8: I'm good. You guys? Great. That, that's good. That's good. Um, I was wondering because uh, uh, Matt was alluding or saying that he um, agreed with evolution. would that be correct?
1: Well,' what does that mean <laughs> I'm not quite sure agreed with evolution so um, the fact that you know if evolution is defined as a, the change in allele frequency over time, this is a, a fact that we need uh, an observation. Oh no,
8: no 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 no, no not that evolution no, no no, no, not okay. micro
1: no we're talking we're talking
8: okay sort of monkey went to a man.
1: Uh, yeah, so we You're have the, we that. have the observable fact of allele change in, uh, change in allele frequencies over time, which is the foundation um, for evolution that's the, that's the observation. Then we have mm-hmm. uh, models that try to explain it the theory of evolution by natural selection, which is uh-huh. the cornerstone of modern biology um, in uh-huh. which we have um, built a case based on well, essentially, all available evidence um, that this model is the one that best accounts for all of the observations.
8: Okay, r- rather than going down like a, a defining micro versus macro evolution path, let's just look at it this way.
2: They're Do the same you thing.
8: Agree that there were, like, for example, there was a transitional fossils that appeared. So, for example, this prehistoric fish, let's say Tiktaalik, sure. now is a man. You know what I'm saying? Like over the process of time.
1: So every so you went from
8: like a fish e- every, or to like a man.
1: Every form is a transitional form. I'm a transitional oh, okay. form well, between my between my parents and my children, assuming I ever had any. Uh, Tiktaalik is one of the uh, one transitional fossil that was found. Uh, there are many, many others, and they cover the ground between many different species, and they allow us to map out. Uh, This process of change, but we're not just relying on fossils. We also have uh, the genetic. Oh, I know,
8: I know, I know, I know. I know you're not just relying on fossils. I understand that. Okay, I'm just wondering which fossil do you claim is
1: transitional? Besides all of them, I just said. I just said that all of them are transitional.
8: Oh, okay. So then, how do you use that? So why do you claim they're all transitional?
1: Because every form is, by definition, a transitional form.
8: No, like,
1: right, right. By what definition? So evolution like is a change pre- in allele they- frequencies over time, and in species that reproduce, they reproduce oh. with genetic errors, and so your offspring isn't identical to the parents, and their offspring isn't identical to the parents, and so each single event becomes a transition between the parents and the grandchildren. Every generation so am I less is human than my parents. Then are you less human? No, human is a constructively. Okay, am I more human than parents. No,
8: but you're slightly
2: no.
1: different genetically
2: than so your then, parents. So uh,
8: then, what, what kind of what kind of change in you know, a little frequency are you saying? Like, I obviously didn't change my species. So correct, know, like not every change.
1: not every single transitional form is a species. speciation. And in fact, I'd argue that none of them are in fact a speciation. They are the okay, same. I
8: have, of, I, have, I have another way of asking the question because it's been a rough time to ask the question. Well, you it'd know, be nice if I could you, finish. W- Oh, well, that's okay. I'm just asking a question, right? Like I I got I, like I know all that what what's going on. Like I don't I'm think you do. Okay, so, okay, that's fine. That's fine. I don't think yeah, you do either, right? Like we're kind of we're on both sides of a coin here, right? I don't Yeah, except one of us has all of the
1: science on their side yeah. and the other <laughs> one doesn't. Awesome.
8: Right, right. Yeah. I agree. Cool. I, I know so okay. So so if you have if you have the sister like you were talking, do you say that they're direct ancestors or do you say they're sister groups? Like, is Tiktaalik a direct ancestor or is it a sister group of what? Uh, of like of our of our lineage. Like, oh, so I don't know. I would I would have
1: from- to, I would have to actually I know exactly where it fits into oh, the tree of life. Okay. So I don't uh-huh. know if this is if Tiktaalik specifically is a direct answer, ancestor of ours, but somebody does uh-huh. know that. From right. mapping okay,
8: out, okay, so I, I do, I do. Okay, is it? Okay, so there's no, there are no, there are no direct ancestors.
1: We mean, there's no direct. Everything ancestors.
8: Everything is sister because you can't prove that Tiktalic had offspring.
1: Um, is, so essentially, you're arguing that we could just view Tiktalic as an anomaly, and we have no reason to think that it has offspring.
8: You, you know, you you have, you know, you can't you can't claim it has offspring because you don't know. Uh, you weren't there. To I say don't Tiktolic know
1: if these offspring. specific. The specific fossil that we have labeled Tiktaalik had any offspring or not? You're correct.
8: Oh right, right. But, okay, I, but exactly, I don't. Exactly.
1: But, but the uh, that lineage there, or that uh, perhaps these sisters and cousins of Tiktaalik, which would have been members of the same species, may have had offspring. Some some species just died. Oh, but,
8: but then are you okay? But then are you saying the sisters of Tiktaalik had the same transitional qualities?
1: No, I'm saying that they had no, similarities. Exactly. Sim- so who cares so, about their offspring? Okay, so here's the thing: uh, we do care if they're offspring because we can trace a genetic lineage. So the fact that, let's say, my my parent, my mom and dad had two, we're not identical, but we are of the same species
4: of oh, okay. our right, parents.
1: Right. Now, hang on, stop interrupting. Species it tends to be defined as individuals that can interbreed. At some point, when there's enough change in your offspring, you can get to a point where you're up to. And, uh uh progeny could no longer have mated with your ancestors that there's been a sufficient enough uh, uh, accumulation of changes that these can no longer interbreed are are we on board with that oh oh do
8: <laughs> Of course, I'm on board with microevolution.
1: Okay, I have no then then, then maybe you should really, stop saying microevolution because, because what you seem to be, if you're on board with microevolution and not macroevolution, this distinction you're making, then what you are essentially arguing is that these small changes can't actually accumulate to a point where you now have a new species from the original Of course, not. Of of course not. not. How do you know that?
8: Oh, obvious! like I've been watching... It's so, for obvious. For example, they've been breeding horses for 2,000 years. Or, oh, my or gosh.
1: Say 2, Do you realize that 2,000 years is a blink of an eye? And can right. you? And by the way, how many species of dogs are there? And can oh, they yeah, all interbreed? Fine. And can What's they interbreed that, uh, with the wolves that were the ancestors?
8: I don't have a problem with micro. It's the micro I think your micro. understanding of evolution
1: is micro.
2: And...
8: No, it's, the problem is... It's a false... We try to distinguish micro from macro. Yeah, you keep trying to, and there's no justification
2: for that. It's a false distinction.
1: It's, it's an exact
2: process.
8: Anyway. So, so if I, I, if I, if I on the TV, on the TV screen, on the TV,
1: Bernard, on the TV screen that I that you're looking at, where you're watching this, if I put out a pixel, that's a micro change, right? A what? Like we turn off one pixel on the screen, that'd be a micro change, right?
8: Um Okay, just keep going. Okay, let's Okay. It is, and right? if we
1: turned off the whole screen, that would be a macro change, right?
8: Okay, so you're saying a different species is simply turning on and off some switch somewhere.
1: Well, what I'm saying is this calls over because when I try to come up with an analogy, you want to paraphrase it in a way that ignores the of actual I context. Um, of course you do that. Of do, course. Do you think science does that?
8: Um, well, no, I, okay I know science for example. Science is that which is knowledge observation and uh, experimentation. and for example, it's never been observed observed, for example, that a monkey became a man or oh you know, okay like could,
1: okay so or so, okay, man, so you know? it's because it's never been observed that a, a monkey or some other primate turned into a man. Monkeys mm-hmm. don't turn into men. <laughs> you think evolution... When evolution in no way says that this monkey turned into this, this this ape ancestor countless generations ago, through many generations, leads to this man. And you're saying that we need to ignore all the generations that evolution talks about, and we go directly from monkey to man. And until somebody observes that, it's just not true. There was, there was no... This is, this is a case of throwing out all of the evidence that disproves...
8: Oh no! What? Um, my phone just died. I just ran to grab so, so
1: phone. it. So, so a thousand, two thousand generations ago, there was a oh, creature. No, no. What,
8: what I'm saying, okay? What I'm saying is you. you so, like science, no, and observe. No, stop, Bernard! Stop. So then are you Bernard, Bernard? 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 I know you're going to hang up if I
1: don't stop. You're so done. Stop. When you say, "I know you're going to hang up if I don't stop," you bet your ass I'm hanging up. So, if your your thing is. Bernard talked about how we never observed a monkey becoming a man. Uh, I've never observed a crocodile becoming a duck. It's the crocoduck argument all over again. The thing is... That's not what evolution says. Exactly. (laughs) If evolution does not in any way say this monkey from 2,000 generations ago became this man in this generation over a single observable occurrence, if evolution doesn't say that, then how is it in any way a sound rebuttal to evolution. What evolution says is that these individual changes can add up. This is why I went to the TV screen. A micro put out one pixel on your your computer screen or TV screen. Change. We just change the color of it. Like Start to invert the colors. We don't have to turn them off. A macro change would be turning out the whole screen. Well, if you do one at a time, you can get there. Now the other thing is that's not a great example of evolution. uh, Because what evolution is doing is we reproduce; our offspring are slightly different, but they're not so different that we necess- that they're a different species from us. There's not this dramatic change. There is a gradual change, and it happens differently, at different rates, with different species. The abundance of of diversity of patterns in life. Um, some species rarely ever change, because natural selection is the thing that's acting upon them to determine, hey are you good enough to survive and create offspring given the current conditions and as the conditions change, and your environment changes, what the natural selection is selected for, or perhaps better against, uh, changes. And you want, hey nobody's ever seen a monkey turn into a man so evolution isn't true. That's not the way it works.
2: And if we ever did find a fossil somewhere that was Half non-human ape and half human that would disprove evolution yeah that, that's not what evolution would predict at all so if you did find one of those then we'd we'd have to reevaluate everything yeah
1: and so then you'd have we're, to we're not yeah. going to but in any case, we could throw out the entirety of evolution just chuck it right out the window we don't believe it. what the hell's that have to do with whether or not they're God yeah, disproving evolution doesn't somehow prove creationism or intelligent design. Um, it's not the case that uh, the, the intelligent design proponents and the creationists haven't in any way uh, offered the sort of scientific backing and foundation for their proposed explanation. Done has tried to attack the current explanation, and the overwhelming majority of the time when they attack that current explanation, they sound they expose their own bias and ignorance, as you've done. If, if you dis
2: disprove evolution, your your explanation doesn't just win by default. And why are you calling an atheist the atheist experience to attack evolution anyway? Oh,
1: he heard me say that I was supportive of evolution. Okay, but well, he called in with that. That was his yeah. first question. <laughs> it's time for you to challenge me on your failed understanding of evolution. Uh, I'll say this to Bernard um, Your description of evolution I don't believe And neither do scientists That study this field But on that note We've, uh, we've hit the 90 minute mark My apologies to the people Who didn't get on the show uh, we, we actually just lost our monitor here as well I put it out with my mind I shut off at once with yep. my mind Evolution. Uh, we'll be headed to Threadgills shortly and we'll be back again next week for another live episode of the Atheist Experience you can, the information to contact the show will be at the bottom of the screen, you can go to atheist-experience.com, there'll be a link there, call the show whenever we're on live and the phone number is there available as well, thanks to everybody who called in our studio audience on the other side of the booth glass we'll see you next time, Bye-bye. bye bye